0: Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Read with your money, only on Money FM 89.3.
1: Now, she's the founder of a media organization that studies the most successful as well as the powerful. And she's distilled secrets of what distinguishes the truly successful from the rest of the pack in the, her new book. Now, this author says how the successful reason through problems and performing under pressure is part of the reason for their success. Welcome to Read. I'm Dan Koh. And today I'm speaking with the author of Hidden Genius, Paulina Pompliano. So, welcome on the show, Paulina.
0: Thank you, Dan. It's a pleasure to-
1: It's a pleasure to have you on our show as well. Now to kick things off, I'd like to first talk about the word success. And to many people, that's often synonymous with the attainment of wealth, fame, as well as honor. So maybe tell us what success actually means to you.
0: Yeah, that's a fundamental question, Uh, because (laughs) when I talk to people and I've interviewed so many people, it's the way that they define success tells me so much about them. Mm. So like you said, if they define it in terms of material things or wealth or fame or status, it tells me about what they value in life. To me, after studying all these people, to me, success is personal. Mm. And I found that each person defines it in a very different way. But me personally, I once heard uh, Anna Quinlan give a commencement speech in which she said something to the effect of if your success looks good to the world but does not feel good in your heart, then it is not success at all. Mm. So I was working at Fortune magazine when I asked myself that question, how do I define success? And at that time, I realized that my definition had been shifting from away from the material wealth type of situation more to the personal fulfillment.
1: Right. Fascinating. Thank you so much for that. I really like that quote that you mentioned as well. Now, I'd like to bring this conversation to an interview that you had with Chamath Palahapatiya. And he's a Sri Lankan-born Canadian-American venture capitalist, engineer, as well as a spec sponsor. And because we are here at Money FM, we'd love to learn a little bit more about this noted investor. So what struck you about the way that Chamath thinks or maybe even generates his ideas?
0: Yeah, he's a fascinating character, as you might be (laughs) familiar. But I think that the thing I learned from him was that the way that he uses his podcast and his newsletter and his brash way of talking to people as almost a feedback uh, loop to get new ideas. So sometimes I've noticed he'll say certain inflammatory things. Yeah. I'm not even sure he believes, but he'll <laughs> say them to elicit an emotional or, you know, rational response in some people. But the the way that certain people respond uh, he takes his feedback to generate ideas.
1: Right. Thank you for that, Paulina. Now, who then are some of the successful people that you interviewed for this book? And how are these successful people really different from the rest of us in key ways?
0: Oh, man. Um, well, there's two main themes that I really got from uh, interviewing these people and writing the book. So for the book, I interviewed a former MMA heavyweight champion. I interviewed a war photographer. I interviewed Danny Meyer, who's a famed restaurateur um, in New York City. And the thing that I learned is that the most, the most exceptional people, not only do they define success differently, but they also know that they can always reinvent so mm-hmm. even if they encounter this, if they set out to achieve a really audacious goal and then fell, fall flat on their face uh, and and fail miserably, they know that they have the skills to reinvent themselves in whatever way they choose or to pursue the next uh, goal. And, yeah. and the second thing is that at some point in their career or in their life, they bet on themselves, so they leave aside. A corporate job or some sort of organization um, that gives them external validation, and they, they decide to tie their identity to their own name. However, that means for you,
1: mm. I suppose what I'm taking away from this is a little bit more of how the 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 problems that we face. It's often a, a break. It's often a breaking point for many of us, and some of us fear the unknown, which is why it's stopping us from achieving greatness, wouldn't you say?
0: Absolutely, and I think the the unknown is where <laughs> all the all the good stuff lies.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a bit hard to believe now. I mean, considering how we would, we aren't very sure of what's to come, but it's okay to fail. Now let, let's talk about you know the first chapter of your book, which you tackled creativity, and which you say is a skill. So how then? Can can we improve our creativity in this aspect?
0: Um, yeah. In the creativity chapter, I talk about a chef named Grant Achatz who mm. uh, at one point um, had the most innovative restaurant in the world called Alinea. It's based in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And they use very innovative techniques um, and, and very it, it's just the very unique experience for the diner. So they asked Grant, how do you generate these wild ideas that a lot of your peers just do not do? And he said that, He does not believe that there is a muse or that there's inspiration and that's how creativity comes to you. He's like, on a daily basis, I choose to be creative. And Mm -hmm. what he means by that is something that, you know, Da Vinci talked about. This is not a new idea, but it's connecting the unconnected or the cross pollination of ideas across industry. Mm -hmm. So, for example, yes, he is in the restaurant business, but On a daily basis, he says he sees the world through a kaleidoscope of food. So Mm -hmm. the lens is food, but it doesn't matter what he takes inspiration from as long as he sees it through that lens. So, for example, he goes to a museum. He sees a large-scale painting on the wall, and he says, I want to eat off of that. Why can't I do that? So then he recreates the painting that he saw in the museum on a tablecloth with various sauces and various things that – make the
1: tablecloth look like art. Wow. So in this, I suppose this sounds a lot like creativity is more of a choice rather mm-hmm. than uh, something that, I mean, if you're, you're, if you're driven enough, you would see inspiration everywhere, all around you. All right. Now, exactly. can you share with us some of the important highlights of the mental frameworks which you say the successful use differently then?
0: Yes. Um, there's one that I have applied to my everyday life, um, that I've seen a lot of these people use. It's something I heard LinkedIn founder, Reed Hoffman say, he said, basically trust. It's a trust is a formula. Mm. Trust equals consistency plus time. So whether it's in your professional life, your personal life, your business life, If you are the type of person who is consistent over a long period of time, you are bound to earn people's trust. And I I don't think a lot of people have the discipline to stay consistent over a long period of time. We know a lot of people who make these grandiose promises – and then break them when things get hard or uncertain. It's the people who stay consistent through times of uncertainty mm. that really earn their customers' trust or their business partners' trust or their, you know, spouses' trust.
1: Mm. Staying consistent to earn people's trust. I really like that one. Now, I also like that you mentioned that the highest performers don't use tricks or hacks to achieve greatness. In fact, they use the mental, mental frameworks that fundamentally change the way they see the world. It's also that how everyday people like you and i can actually attain the same results so how do successful people manage stress and pressure how do they not break
0: yeah um so because i'm fascinated by this idea of like how do you continue performing under duress or under stress um i found people who have been nearly in seemingly impossible situations Mm. like astronaut chris hadfield and um he he uh, was blinded in outside of the International Space Station as he was working on it. He got some uh, oil mixture in his eye inside oh. of his helmet. So obviously when you're outside of the ISS in space, you cannot just reach and rub your eye. Also, mm. there's no gravity. So he... Uh, the the stuff in one of his eyes went into the other completely blind outside of the international space station so he told himself okay well i've done a lot of training this has never once come up this is a truly uncertain stressful situation that it i've is. never encountered before yeah. and he however all that training taught him that to stay calm under pressure you need to tell your mind that you have options and most of us in times like that, we just panic. We're like, "Well, well what do we do?" And our emotional brain takes over. In the book, I talk a lot about how um, it's it's fighting that urge to be emotional and in trying to be logical and rational and telling yourself, what are my options? And he had a number of options. He could call Houston ask for help. He could get his fellow astronaut to help him. He could um, cry a little bit and let the stuff come out of his eye. Mm. He he ended up uh choosing a fourth option, which was uh pulling a vent on the side of his helmet, letting some air out, and mm. it cleared off. And then he continued to work it. And it's like that level of I can stay calm no matter what is is what astronaut training or Navy SEAL training prepares you for.
1: Mm. Yeah, I, I I suppose it's a lot to do with uh, the control of your emotions as well during high pressure uh, circumstances. That really drives us drives emotion within us, and sometimes it's a little bit hard to keep it all in check. So it really does mask a little bit of uh, how we feel and how we act as well. Now, if there's one person that it- we know, work well under stress and pressure. That's David Goggins as well. He's an American retired United States Navy SEAL, an ultra marathon runner. And I you know he has an interesting insight into how you can use speaking to yourself about truth for change. Can you share more about, about that perhaps?
0: Absolutely. So David Goggins is a fascinating character because he's had a true transformation from going from a really insecure guy mm. to a very, very confident in himself type of person. Yeah. Um, he uses a number of different techniques like alter egos and, t- but, but talking to yourself is, is one of them that I find fascinating mm. where he says that most people, when something goes wrong or when life gets hard or when something is painful, in his case, he runs, you know, extreme races. Yeah. When something gets really hard and painful, most people listen to themselves and listening to yourself means the automatic voice that you hear in your head. That's like, Oh my goodness, my foot hurts. I don't think I can continue this race. I don't think I can give that speech at work. Mm -hmm. I don't think I can negotiate with my partner, all these things. That's your first instinct. And often listening to yourself you're that's not your real voice he says because that's probably the voice you've internalized from when you were little getting bullied at school or your parents saying something uh or a teacher being mean that's the voice that comes up but then he's like then you recognize that. And then you start talking to yourself. A lot of elite athletes do this. There's tons of videos online. You can watch what they do is it's almost like a coach. Uh, Mm. You start talking to yourself out loud and you're like, okay, this hurts, but you only have 10 miles to go. You can do this. Come on, Nick, this is your final chance. It's almost a motivating, um, voice that puts you on the offense instead of staying on the defense
1: yeah it's really self affirming as well a little bit like a self fulfilling prophecy you know if you keep encouraging yourself besides usually we're, uh, our biggest enemy is ourselves right that's a that's a quote that's been repeated a lot of times as well then we all want to reach our full potential so what are the ways of doing so that we can work on f- from your book today are there ways of doing so that we can work on from your book today
0: Absolutely. There's one really practical thing that your listeners can ask themselves right now, yeah. and it is that when you go to an event or a conference or a party and somebody asks you, because this will come up, so what do you do ah. <laughs> when they ask you, so what do you do? you will likely answer with your most impressive identity Mm. for me for many years that was i'm a tech reporter at fortune magazine of course like i i demand respect yeah but then you realize that if it is a job title or relationship status i'm so-and-so's wife or you know a material possession my you know this is where i live i vacation here all those things are external that you could lose um Mm. i was reading a quote by Oprah and she said, don't tie your identity to something that you could lose in the blink of a board meeting. In other words, a lot of these Fortune 500 CEOs, they're CEO one day, and then the board decides something different, and then the next day they're they're not anymore, they're just Joe. <laughs> yeah, uh,
1: show, the average Joe, yeah.
0: Street. Exactly, so I think it's, think about the way that you answer that question and then ask yourself, is there something that I can create that ties my identity to my own name that mm. I cannot lose. I can't fire myself. I can't get laid off. A global pandemic can affect my work or, or my life in, in such a dramatic way. So, you know, for me, it's a, a newsletter that I write or a book that I wrote. It's something that I can tie my name to mm. that I can't lose. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, it's a bit more of our achievements rather than our jobs. Our jobs don't don't necessarily say or portray what kind of person we are. Now then, how do you generate ideas after writing this book?
0: (laughs) So, um, I live in New York City and, and the thing that I love about this city is that you walk outside, and ideas just just flow mm. to you. Because the way that I generate ideas is very similar uh, to how I mentioned Grant does. Yeah. In that, I'll be sitting at a coffee shop, and I'll overhear a conversation, and be like, "Wow, that's an interesting point of view." So and so thinks a similar way, or so and so disagrees. And then it just, I, it's either you know, a text message or a conversation over here, or something I notice walking down the street that then takes a life of its own and becomes uh, something bigger. But yeah, it's it's constant. I, I I'm never at a loss for ideas because not only are they constant, but I also keep a small notebook in my bag that I drop them down in.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it's always good to write your ideas on a book because sometimes we have tons of them and we don't really remember them throughout the day. So you'd be surprised to know what you've written by the end of it. Now, having studied thousands of the most successful and interesting people in the world, what is the one thing that you'd like our listeners to take away from this conversation?
0: It is I already mentioned, you know, take a moment and and figure out how you can bet on yourself. One of my favorite quotes is by Beyonce. She says, I don't like to gamble, but if mm. there's one thing I'm willing to bet on, it's myself. Mm. Um, so so find what your unique advantage is at the end of the book. In the conclusion, I break down the 10 chapters into 10 questions that you can ask yourself and. Um, that will help you hopefully find your hidden genius or your X factor or the thing that will make you personally fulfilled. But one, one thing I would love to leave your listeners with is in uh, one of my chapters, I talk about optimizing your content diet and your content diet being the things that you put into your brain on a daily basis. Uh, and a lot of us think it's just, you know, what do I watch or what do I listen to? And yes, that makes up part of your uh, content diet, but it's also, who do you spend the most time with? What mm. ideas are you generating from those conversations? Right. And it, it, what environments am I putting myself in? And it's those things that make for a balanced content diet. Mm. Um, not to say you don't, you can't have some like junk content in there every once in a while, but it's yeah. the, the the the, the, that's what makes you interesting. That's what makes you achieve your goals. And that's ultimately like what makes your life be what it is.
1: Yeah, optimizing your content diet. It's a it's a bit of a good balance between the good and the bad. But of course, not forgetting, you have to constantly learn every single day. Gamble on yourself. Find your unique advantages. <laughs> it's been such a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Polina.
0: It's been awesome. Thank you so much, Dan. I really appreciate it.
1: All right. We've been speaking to Polina Pompliano, the author. Author of Hidden Genius, about the secrets of what distinguishes the truly successful from the rest of the pack, and how you can unlock your inner genius to achieve greatness today. Continue to keep it right here with us on Money FM 89.3. To listen to more great interviews, download
0: our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A W E D I O audio at the App Store and Google Play.